Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to the Lucky Let Cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you, but I don't know what day it is. I don't. Wait a second. It's day 12 of the Australian Open. It's also January 26th. Happy to be talking about American men's tennis today because the semifinals in Melbourne feature an American for the first time since 2009. His name is Tommy Paul. He's part of an American contingent that made big waves at the Aussie Open over the last 12 days. And we've got special guests today. Alex Gruskin of Cracked Rackets Podcast man that needs no introduction in tennis communities, but we will do a slight introduction in a moment. I'm very excited to have Alex join the podcast today. I've been on his podcast several times in the past. It's always been a great experience, although it is a little overwhelming because his knowledge tends to dwarf mine when it comes to tennis. So psyched that he's going to enlighten us all today. Let's get straight to our interview. We're going to talk Americans tennis and of course, men's single semifinals and the women's finals in Melbourne, which are just around the corner. Alex, big pleasure. Thank you for coming and speaking with me. It's usually me coming to your podcast. I'm very honored to have you visit me today, talk a little U.S. tennis and Australian Open. How are you, my friend? I am doing fantastic. It is a delight to have the chance to speak with you as a longtime admirer. I'll follow you onto any platform, so glad Mm -hmm. to get to do it here. Yeah, this is like how... You know how, you know, there's home and homes in non-tennis related sports. Finally, I get to take the road game to the Chris Otto show. I'm excited. Yeah, this is very cool. It is it is a home and home. They they don't do them back-to-back nights as, as much in the NHL either. They seem to spread them out <laughs> over a couple of days. Well, that's that's probably good for the quality of hockey, but but yeah, um before we get started, we're going to talk um a lot about American men's tennis because it was yet another amazing amazingly successful week in Australia. It's over now, except for Tommy Paul, the last American standing. But before that, talk to me about what you're up to the last few months and in general with Crack Rackets, with your podcast and everything else you're doing. I want the listener to know who you are and where to find you. And there's so much going on. I think it's better that you just tell me. Yeah, well, slowly what I've been up to in my daily life every day, I count how many hairs I've lost off the top of my head. The number multiplies each day. It's okay. depressing. But beyond that, certainly things are uh, very enjoyable and certainly getting active here to start this 2023 season at Crack Rackets. We're so fortunate now to have, I believe, five podcasts up and running. The we network is huge. The mini break. Yeah, we're, we're rocking and rolling our latest show covering each of the episodes of the Netflix docuseries Breakpoint. I've gotten to work with my good friend Gil Gross on that. So that's been delightful. We've recapped daily, every day of this 2023 Australian Open on the mini break. So that's been great. And then we're getting amped for the start of the college tennis season. Who is the next yeah. Ben Shelton, the next Danielle Collins? We're trying to find out. We've got the ceremonial start this weekend will have, I think it's like 48 hours of coverage over the next four days overall of the ITA kickoff weekend. So 
for all that, check out crackrackets.com. I promise anything Chris misses, we try to pick up the slack over mm-hmm. there. Awesome. And if I'm not mistaken, you were doing some work with Tennis Channel and along with Gil last year. It was on the Samsung channel that I knew nothing about. But guess what? For this year, I just picked up a Samsung t- TV. Is there any news on that? Or are you going to be getting involved with that again this year? Well, do I get a commission on that purchase? You, of course, yeah, it's in the mail already. You didn't yeah, check the mailbox. So and, that's what I'm, Samsung hit me up. You know where to find me. It's, mm-hmm. There's not that many people in Indianapolis. Um, no, it's been so cool to get to play any sort of role on the ATP WTA tour in the life that is day in day out. And I was fortunate enough to get to call some matches for Tennis Channel and their new streaming service T2, which is T2. exclusively available on Samsung TVs, and you know things like that affords you the opportunity to say things like I saw Victoria Azarenka I called her matches the first week of the season you could just tell she was moving better than she had in maybe two plus years and you know to have the opportunity to do that to work with the team at Tennis Channel it's a ride it's it's again it keeps the smile on my face even when you and I have to turn nocturnal for this Australian Open awesome yeah well good job with everything thank you for the rundown let's talk tennis now why Alex, why is Tommy Paul the last American standing at this Australian Open? It's a great question. It's a byproduct of a couple of things. A, certainly the draw. And you look for Tommy Paul, it's not to say he hasn't been tested because he faced Alejandro Davidovich Fokina in round number two of this event. And for Tommy Paul, who was like 34 or five in the world, somewhere around there, entering this Australian Open, he was... The, one of the last players not to receive one of the top 32 seeds. And so you always knew he would be dangerous, but right away things start breaking his direction. He beats Davidovich Fokina, who would have been up next, number two seed Casper Ruud, but Ruud eliminated by Jensen Brooksby. And, you know, right there, Tommy gets to play the role of elder statesman, something he hasn't done a lot in his career, but you know, he looks at Jensen Brooksby and says, please, you're the junior who was six years younger than me. And it was cute when you were winning the 12s, but we're in the big leagues now. This was my time. We saw him succeed so well in that match. We saw him do it against Shelton similarly uh, a couple of nights ago. And look, Roberto Bautista Gu, a fantastic, you know, a tough foe. He's the litmus test sort of player into, you know, barring entry into the ATP Absolutely. top 20. Absolutely, the rite of passage. Exactly, but what we saw in this event is Tommy Paul passed that rite of passage, and that gets me to point number two. You look for Tommy Paul, this result did not happen in a vacuum. This has been a, a byproduct of slow and steady success. If you want to look big picture, you could say over the last, two and a half, three and a half years dating back to when he won the French Open Wild Card Challenge in 2019. I know your listeners watched the Challengers, so they'll remember that vividly. But perhaps more pressingly, this is who Tommy Paul has been over the last six months. And I did some research in preparation for today's show. And of course, American men have been the story of this Australian Open Since the start of Queens Club, which started June 13th last season, so it's been a full six-month stretch for Tommy Paul. Since the start of Queens Club, he's 29-14 and overall, Chris. He has won two-thirds of his matches. And I have a rule. I call it the two-thirds rule. 
when you're winning two-thirds of your matches, you're pretty consistently moving up the rankings, whether that's Futures quarterfinals, Challenger quarterfinals, you must make enough 250 quarterfinals. Now you get to start playing the 500, the Masters. It's been slow and steady progress for Tommy. And I think the big results, he makes the second week of Wimbledon. Now he gets a slightly beneficial draw where he doesn't have to play any top 20 players. He beats all of them. And he just he's proven this is who he is, right? It's been six months. Yeah. It's it's been and another thing that I'll mention stat wise is he's learned somehow along the way how to beat the top players. If you look up the list of his recent top five matches, the Zverev win was of course was huge at Indian mm-hmm. Wells and Alcaraz and Nadal last year. A lot of people probably don't realize that he's mm-hmm. coming in relatively hot against elite competition you know granted what does a win against rafael nadal at paris really mean well i'm sure it's good for his confidence and that brings me to my next question he's facing the toughest challenge or let's call it the second toughest challenge in men's tennis other than rafael nadal at at roland garros he's facing novak Djokovic, the nine-time champion in the semis he said he wants he wants a shot to face him and he's excited about it do you think he's going to put on a good show or is this going to be another you know, two, one and two type of Djokovic victory that we've seen in like the last two rounds over the demon and Rublev. I think this match is going to be a show, Chris. And the reason I say that you look back at Tommy Paul's history and I I've made this joke, you know, this is how, you know, this Australian open and maybe the Netflix break point show is breaking through to the sport watching populace at large. I got the call up to do a new New Zealand radio hit, Chris, which Sweet. like, come on, that's a pretty exclusive gig. <laughs> they called me twice. They called me their tennis correspondent on the second one. I was like, really? I'm a correspondent now? I was like, is this a daily show thing? Um, but, you know, you look for Tommy Paul. Let's be clear. This is a guy who was a boys 16th and 18th national champion in the juniors. He goes from there to winning the junior French Open and making the junior U.S. Open final in the same season. This is a guy who has been, and I'll make a Game of Thrones reference here, one of the princes that was promised to us American men's tennis fans in this you know, original next-gen cohort of Fritz, yeah. Opelka, Paul, and all these guys who had so much junior success. This is, you know, a moment, a culmination of everything Tommy has worked for and everything he has expected from himself. Now, as for the tennis itself, look, you look at the numbers statistically, Tommy Paul has ranked top 25 in both how frequently he's holding serve, how frequently he's breaking serve amongst top 50 players on the ATP tour. He's only one of nine guys you can say that about. And so statistically, you know, again, He's been pretty good at everything, and that matches what you see with your eyes. Tommy, he may not be the best athlete on the ATP Tour, but there are few, if any, players who are more athletic than Tommy Paul. The movement will not be an issue. 25 years old, dare I say, I think he is ready for that sort of challenge from Novak. I also think, Chris, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this, his forehand approach I think the biggest difference for Tommy Paul, because he's always been a great athlete, he's always been pretty good at everything. I just think he attacks with his forehand way better than he used to. I mean, you look at the zero to four shot rallies against Shelton last night. Tommy played Shelton even in the first strike tennis. And to play Ben Shelton even at that level. I mean, are you seeing that, Chris, as well? Do you think he'll be able to hurt Novak? 
I think he, he will be able to hurt them more than the last two players Novak has faced has been able to. Yes, and that's I think that's the difference with Tommy Paul now than than a year ago is that he's he's just, he's more assertive. He's bolder. He's he kind of has a little bit more purpose out there when he's playing. He's not just enjoying being this athlete and doing whatever he can, winning points with his legs and. Uh, it's just it's nice to see it all come together and have maybe a little bit more discipline and purpose in his game. So yes, I do think he can do more damage to Novak. How much damage that will be remains to be seen. But but he has the diversity and the variety to keep Novak off balance. Obviously, we know how good he is at handling pace, and, and Djokovic has certainly been playing with a lot of pace at this tournament, so that shouldn't be a problem. So it's going to be interesting to see what he can do. I think he's going to play with a chip on his shoulder and a lot of attitude. But I want to swing it over to Ben Shelton. And then, and then move down the ladder of some of these American men because you mentioned Paul beating Shelton. A very exciting match, went four sets. And what I want to know from you as a guy who does the NCAA scene and watches it so closely is, is we've only seen Ben Shelton for 11, 12 matches now. This is his second Grand Slam main draw appearance. It's hard to project what kind of future he's going to have, although it looks pretty good when you can reach a quarterfinal in your second major appearance. But I want to hear from you. What is it about Ben Shelton? Like, like, tell me more about this guy and tell me why you think he might be here to stay. Uh, where to begin? I mean, when you watch Ben Shelton play, and it was very funny listening to the McEnroe's, Pat and John, who I'm sure had seen Ben Shelton. They knew his story. I doubt they had watched more than five hours of him in their lives. But to hear them marvel at the racket speed he generates, at the sound that comes off the strings when he makes contact with a ball, when you see that in person, it really is just different than 90% of the players you'll even see at the highest levels of the ATP Tour. And look, everyone who's listening to this podcast has eyes. You can see Ben Shelton, he's a big lefty with a big serve. You know what helps? In tennis, Chris, some scholars have argued being a big lefty with a big serve, there's a pathway for success <laughs> there. And of course, you know, I think that's where it starts with Ben, who through his career and, you know, he between the challenger level, and that's really where he started last June. He's now played 59 pro matches over the last 52 weeks. He's 45 and 14. He's won 76% of his matches. Mm. He's holding 89% of the time. That's a top five number on the ATP Tour. That's the Isner, Kyrgios, Berrettini, Hercots range of servers. I think that very much matches up what we see with our eyes. I do think the other component, and <laughs> I, this is a running joke because he's been kind enough to come on our Crack Racket shows many times over the years, but I always joke with him. I go, do you know your dad was your coach at Florida? Because you're never going to go through a Ben Shelton match without hearing that his dad, who happened to be a top 50 player, was also his coach at Florida. That matters. It also matters in the sense, knowing his family background, Ben was not a tennis lifer. Ben is not someone who has spent a million hours of time on the court already by the time he's 20 years old. This is all still relatively fresh to Ben. And the reason I bring that up is I think that's important because watching this breakpoint series, hearing from these players in the press conferences, you realize how real the burnout becomes, just how devastating losing week after week can be on these players' psyches. And I just think Ben has that youthful naivete right now where it's like, yeah, but it's all fresh for me. Like, uh, it's really fresh. I have a really good background, a really good team that I'm set up with that I trust to guide me through this process. 
And it's almost like he doesn't know better than to trust the process. And with all the physical gifts he has, with that team around him as well, you just feel like he's going to find his way to his ceiling. Mm -hmm. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Well said. And in your expert's eye, Alex, is there something you see that still needs to develop in Ben or that, let, let's say, that, that gives him even more upside that we are, than we already see? I mean, obviously... He's a pretty authoritative player on court out there, but there are, are there elements of his game that maybe aren't quite there yet that if they if they are there, will make him even better? Am I allowed to swear on this show? Of course. We, we recommend it. Okay. Well, then I can give the quote <laughs> accurately. It's not going to be useless. This is purposeful swearing, I, I promise. So, and by the way, all those matches Ben has played in his career, all of them have been on hard courts. So we've never seen him on clay. I mean, he's 43 in the world. He doesn't have a single point to defend till June 1st. Yes. So he is sitting pretty. I was once speaking to a player who played him in college, a guy who, for the record, is already having success on the pro tour himself. And I said, what makes playing Ben so difficult? And he said, and this is a quote I've used many a times. He said, Alex, when Ben makes his slice serve out wide on the ad side, you're just fucked. Yeah. Because when he makes that serve, now the whole court is open to him. He's either serving and volleying, he's hitting a first forehand winner, or more likely than not, he just aced you out wide. And like when you have a weapon like that, it keeps you in the ball game. Yeah. Talking to Ben, talking to his team, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, but the thing he, I always think and that he even says is, hey, he needs to learn how to slow down. And by the way, that's the best thing you want, right? You want to teach someone to rein in the weapons. You don't have to go for ball number one. You can wait right, till right, right. ball number four. I just think you have to pick a spot better. Like all the tools are there, aren't they? Yeah, for sure. Uh, was it, I think it was Mike Cation broadcasting Ben's match either either round of 16 or quarterfinals telling a story, and I want to see if you recall this, that he, that he made a promise to, to serve and volley every point of a match in, at the Tiburon Challenge and got through the whole match all the way through a third set breaker. Is, did you hear about this? Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating to hear because, again, Ben didn't start playing full-time till he's 14 years old. It's kind of like, you know, there will be players who didn't start playing college football until they were a junior in high school, and now all of a sudden they're first-round draft picks because the talent is so evident. I mean, that's Shelton. The talent is so evident. And had he played the full junior circuit, maybe he would be a guy with more pedigree than he has at this moment. But the... It does feel like, and I ask you this as well, the tennis world has embraced him pretty quickly, have yeah, they not? they're huge. It's something about its personality, I think, in the way he's yeah. just got, like you mentioned, he's got that, that swag, that moxie. He's real good-natured. Yeah. He's, not, he's not cocky, but he's got a great energy, and people are picking up on it. And people are excited to see someone, of course, always excited to see anyone burst onto the scene. But when they back it up with some personality, they're just everybody's just like, give me more. And, of course, you know, I'm just sitting here. That's why I really wanted to talk to you. It's just, I can't tell. I, I don't know who, who's going to pan out. And, you know, Patrick McEnroe won, you know, reached the semis of the, of the Australian Open on his on his um, 
debut down there, and it was like his second slam, I think. So you know, you don't know how. And he had a good career by 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 all accounts, but you just don't know what it what it's really going to be like, and what he what is really in store for him. And it's going to be so exciting to watch. But I mean, we've talked about this subject before about the American men, how they're coming, how things are working well, how they have this great competitive advantage working together. Two different age groups. You got the Fritz and Opelka group, and now you got the Corda and Brooksby, and you add Shelton to that now, which makes it insane. And some of the numbers, I mean, the three and the quarter finals, which I think is the first time at the Aussie Open since 2000, and then the 10 guys in the top 50 next week. I mean, it's just massive. But but here's something I wanted to talk to you about. and I haven't talked about this with anybody. It's a little sad that Fritz and Tiafo didn't join this party. That's that's first point. And second point is, imagine <laughs> what happens when they do at maybe Wimbledon or the U.S. Open this year. It could be even better at the majors for the American men. It's the group that was promised. This is what Colette Lewis has been writing about since 2010. Like, if you read Colette Lewis, who is the foremost scholar on all things American junior tennis, she said Eddie Hers and the Orange Bulls and the, you know, the Easter Bulls of the world, hey, there's this American group, and it started really with Stefan Kozlov. But from there, Tiafa worked his way in, and then... Fritz, Opelka, uh, and Tommy Paul, all pop. Michael Moe, who's worked his way into a top 100 spot. He was a late bloomer. J.J. Wolf, that's another late bloomer. Even Chris Eubanks. Eubanks, I think, was born 1997. Like, mm. in no world is Chris Eubanks old than, you know, he broke into the top 100 of the live rankings for a second in this Australian Open. You know, there's the old adage that, you get enough bites at the apple, eventually something's going to break through. And that's what we have with this American class. There's such a depth to them. And then, of course, now you have this neck, I call them the next gen 2.0s, the Cordas, yeah. the Brooksby's, the Nakashima, Shelton's of the world. They're all 25 and younger. You feel like this 20, you know, if the 19s is the golden age for American men's tennis, you feel like this really could be the roaring 20s. And I'm curious, because looking at the backgrounds, Chris, Shelton, Corda, you know, Fritz, um, I'm blanking out. J.J. Wolf comes from this similar background as well. You have a lot of a lot of players whose parents also were professional athletes, were pro tennis players. And like we're starting to see the benefits of that in this next generation of their kids are now pros. Yeah, it's pretty cool. They they um they can instill a lot of uh, important characteristics. Brandon Holt, of course, mm-hmm. doing pretty well also. Yeah. Um, but tell me um I'm I got to pick your brain about JJ Wolf cuz again, my my understanding of his game is that yes, he's got upside and yes, he's very talented, but but I, I, I'm kind of like stuck when I think about what's the future of J.J. Wolf like. But, but in, in recent months, I've come to the realization that I think he's going to go higher than I originally thought he would be, that he's got more talent and more ability to compete at the, at the tour level. So give me a little breakdown of what, what you saw from J.J. in college and what you see now and where do you think he's headed. Well, it's interesting because when you're young, you watch players, and if they're different from what you typically see on the ATP tour, sometimes you're gravitated. You gravitate towards them. You say, "This player, you know, I love their consistency. I love their angles. Just the way they fight. That's what you think is going to make it at some point." And then you get a little bit older, and you realize, look, case in point, you got to have some weapons. You just got to have the ability to make life easy for yourself. And when it comes down to it, JJ Wolf was just blessed with one of those shoulders 
that's capable of generating a serve, a forehand, that will win him three points in every match that he plays. I mean, his slice serve down the tee on the ad side, Chris, you're just like, I, it, it breaks away from you. Like, by the time it's done, it's on the deuce side of the court. I would argue he hits that specific serve maybe better than anyone in the men's game. And then since he was 16 years old and competing for the Kalamazoo 18 title, he's had that forehand. Just that ability to, the, the contact point is flawless. Let me throw a little tangent at you, Chris. Mm. Pound for pound, is J.J. Wolf the strongest player right now in the ATP Top 100? That's the kind of that, that's the that's the vibe I get from him, right? That that he might yeah. be right. How is he an, uh, from a movement and a shot tolerance perspective? Is is that where does it, he doesn't often get to these situations, right? As you talked about the 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 mammoth capabilities that he possesses. Yeah, that's been the biggest development over the past year in particular, and he had started to make a top one hundred breakthrough right prior to COVID, start yeah. of twenty twenty. He then uh, had an abdominal issue. I think he had appendicitis as well that sort of slowed his comeback on two different occasions. But we actually had him on our Cracked Interviews podcast in December, and he's a friend of the show. I'm fortunate to be able to speak candidly with him. And I said to him, like, JJ, I say this lovingly, you were a meatball out there. Like, there was a moment (laughs) where maybe you were 10, 15 pounds, a little bit too heavy and you look slim. Like, yeah. it's a different JJ out there. Am I on to something? And he starts laughing. He says, first of all, I'm glad we're close enough friends that you feel comfortable commenting on my physique because he's a funny guy. And then he's like, second of all, like, yes, that's exactly what happened. I had to find a better medium because I needed to get more fluid. I needed to get better at those things. And he's not great at them yet. But much like Fritz, much like Poss has done, JJ continues to get better at them, and he's a good enough athlete to be good at them eventually. Yeah, super likable guy too. Which is, uh, yeah, the young guys got have a lot of charisma. He's, he's, he's uh, I don't, I don't know what your take is on his personality, but to me, he just seems like very genuine, very low key. But mm-hmm. also, but also, there's something there that's a little bit different, a little bit quirky, right? He's not going to listen to this, but maybe she will. His sister, Danielle, is the reason JJ is cool. You have an older sister who's cool. It just makes you cool. Like, that's just how life works. Do you have that experience as well? Uh, I have two brothers, which is why I'm not cool, but haven't gotten to spend Danielle. She was a very good player at Ohio State. You're like, oh, yeah, like if your younger brother is going to be a normal guy. And what is the story with his <laughs> – it's his granddad used to – he used to coach in the NBA, and he was he was a, also had a baseball pedigree or something, and something crazy about his granddad that recently passed, I believe, right? Yeah, there's athletes everywhere. That's the big thing. Like I know his just athletes everywhere yeah, like, in the Wolf family. It's just yeah, it's like again, I'll tell you what. You know what? I think my dad like he he, he brags that he got an A in the square dancing portion of his middle school gym class. He's like, that's where I thrived. I was like, all right, well, that didn't help me. <laughs> Well, you never know. It could, could turn out handy. At some yeah, point. <laughs> maybe it has. So you know, Wolf was pushing I mean, round of sixteen for him in Australia, a breakout performance there, and pushing Shelton. Really, I mean, not much between them. Should we expect bigger things from him, ranking wise, this season? For both guys, it's funny because it's the same question: How will they be on clay? Like for mm, half right. the year, J- JJ Wolf and Ben are top fifty players on hard courts. They have the weapons, the serves, the forehands. They've proven that. How do, when the game gets more physical, how do they match that challenge? 
Now, the great news is they're both now ranked high enough that they're going to get to push themselves against the best in the biggest events. So we'll have an answer to that question in six months, but that's probably the question, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And people are drooling about Shelton on grass, of course, already. I heard some Aussie yeah. commentators saying, I think his best surface might be grass, mate. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Oh, prob- yeah. makes, makes a lot of sense, but you do never know with that one. The, the Brian-Shelton comparisons will be gone. It'll be all Goran all the time. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Cool. Okay, let's uh, – thank you for that breakdown. American tennis, great. I mean, eight guys into the third round. We could run them down. You know, Fritz and Tiafo were outperformed by Michael Moe. I think that was pretty pretty amazing. Michael Moe's story was, was just unreal, and he's going to be 82 in the world, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Can I ask you one question about the American men? Yeah, yeah. Coming out of this slam, Tommy Paul's in the semis. Ben makes the quarters in his top 50. JJ's exceptional. And yet I still think the biggest story coming out of the month of January is that when he is healthy and has a 25-year-old body, Sebi Korda might be the best player in the world. That's my hot take. What do you say? Yeah, that hasn't changed really from, I think we were all jumping the gun on that a couple years ago, and it still holds true. He's so impressive. And Mm -hmm. he's proving it. I mean, look, holding the match point against Novak, that was not a joke. And he's having these great experiences now, which is, you know, over, you know, these mental hurdles that have been tripping him up a little bit, like at Indian Wells with Rafa, where he was double break up and really blew that match. I mean, let's face it. These aren't like we're not being hard on him. He just had some hiccups mentally with closing out matches. And he's gotten he's gone through the fire with these with these challenges. And I think he did that again here in Australia. And he's proved you're thinking this guy could win the title if he was healthy. Right. And it just didn't break for him that way this time. And I think you're right. He could very well be the one that pushes everybody higher the way that Fritz and Tiafo have done in the last 52 weeks. In a couple of years from now, we might be looking at this group all chasing Sebi. So, yes, I would, if ten, I would agree if with that. Tennis abstract. It, the research database free tennisabstract.com. If tennis abstract was to make their perfect player, it would be Sebi Corda. Yeah, maybe, right? He's got, he's got, yeah, it's like, so smooth and smooth oh, and power when those two go together. Him. They do. Yeah, huh? the tell, numbers, tell me why. He, he's the James Harden of the ATP tour. What numbers look, look uh, shiny and bright when it comes, when you go down the court? All of them. Break percentage, he's been a top 15 guy since he walked onto the ATP Tour. And literally, tennis abstract is just like, look, when his serve gets to where it was this month for a full season, he'll never leave the top 10 of ELO ratings, Mm. ever. Yeah, pretty cool. It's nice. He's got a lot. He's got a it's uh, it's it's nice to see the way his team is shaped up and how he's he's mm-hmm. always got help coming from different angles and it's great that Andre is still there in that mentor role which I think is behind the scenes mm-hmm. but so crucial to him like spiritually and that's you know you talk about the burnout and everything it's great to have a guide like that so yeah it's geez you, you just can't wait for the next the big thing to happen for American tennis and, and it'll be fun really fun to watch Tommy Paul let's talk a little bit about what's ahead of us this weekend. It's now uh, the women's final is now set and it's going to be a cracker. It's going to be a hard hitting um, artillery based affair between Arena Sabalenka and Elena Rybakina. Thoughts on the performances of these two lovely players and how um, how this might play out. Everybody's talking big power in this match. What, mm-hmm. How does one player get the edge over the other? Tennis Twitter uses the term big babe tennis. Yes. I call it Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club because she really set the blueprint for this style that we see. I mean, look, talk about two not only elite 
power tennis players, but two exceptional athletes for players their size, right? Like these are players who are 5'11", 6 feet, who can hit the cover off of the ball, and yet I don't consider either Rabakina nor Sabalenka bad movers. Like I Mm -hmm. think they're fluid. I think both anticipate well. Both of them from a technique standpoint, yes, Sabalenka will take some big backswings, but it's not as though that big backswing compromises her in any sort of fashion. Similarly, you know, they'll be writing textbooks about that Rabakina backhand Very for the nice, next decades yeah. to come. Like, it's going to be a great match. This is the future. This is two players, you know, both 24. And I, I think Sabalenka is still 24. I call her the oldest 24 year old in history. Cause it's you're amazing. like, yeah, you're like, yeah, you're like, how are you still 24? This, you know, you've been a part of our lives since 2018. Yeah. You know, Rabakina is a 99. Like, she's so young. Um, I mean, this is the future because it's two players who take the racket out of their opponent's hands. <sighs> Here's the thing. Sabalenka has been better via the eye test. Statistically, it's a wash. They've both been exceptional. Mm-hmm. Sabalenka has been better via the eye test. She's moving a little bit better. And it's, you know, like case in point, Vekic was hitting the ball huge. It didn't matter. Sabalenka's power was still better. But there's just a calmness to Rabakina, Chris, right? Like it just feels like she has never been rattled by anything in her life. Yeah. And you just wonder, first slam final, might Sabalenka get rattled? Well, yeah, there's that potential for sure. Though she, yeah, we must, I think we have to agree she's done well so far. With she's, she's not just uh, talking about being calm; she's really walking the walk. And uh-huh. I mean, it's just a matter of can she keep it together for one more round? I thought her reaction to victory last night was nice. It was super calm, mm-hmm. um, and she didn't waste any energy. And she's not overexcited. And I think she knows wh- how she needs to be in order to get through Rabakina. I favor her in my mind because. I think Rabakina kind of lost the signal a little bit against Vika from 5-3 up in the first set. And I said, wow, she's really vulnerable right here. And I thought Vika should have been able to take that set and potentially take that match, you know, maybe hinged on that one-second serve backhand return at 5-5-30-40. But so I saw a little bit where I thought maybe she can be fatigued. Maybe Maybe she's dealing with fatigue in that moment. I couldn't quite figure out what it was, but I feel like, Irene is so fit and so aggressive and so focused right now that maybe she won't wake up until this match is over and she's a Grand Slam champion. But it's you know it's hard, like you said it's hard to predict. Very exciting ma- final matchup. It's going to be great. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. The big thing for me, first serve percentage. And I know that's yes. so basic, but no. Rabakin has got to make more first serves because she will go lighter on the second serve. As we saw for Sabalenka against Vekic, and yes, it was her worst double fault performance. I think she had nine. It was the first time she double faulted on more than 10% of the serve for the match of her uh, season. That said, I viewed them as tactical double faults. They weren't the typical Sabalenka double faults. They were, oh, you're going to take the return big. Well, watch this second serve. I'm going to blast 115 at your face. And like, (laughs) good luck taking this on the rise. And like, Sabalenka will do that. 
Rabakina doesn't. I think Rabakina needs to because Vika teed off on her second serve all night long yesterday. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what I worry about is that Sabalenka has an adjustment. What's the Rabakina adjustment? That's my question. Yeah, I lean Sabalenka because it just feels like inevitably she'll win a slam. Why not now? Yeah, but boy, is it going to be fun? Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned the first and second serve. I think she missed the what eleven straight first serves at the end of that first set too. And I was just yeah. I was a little confused at that point. But um, yeah. it probably won't happen again on on uh, Saturday night. So we talked we talked about Tommy. And the Novak matchup a little bit. What about this really intriguing matchup between Aaron Hachinov and Stefano Tsitsipas? I mean, they've both been looking so good. What are your What are your initial thoughts on how those two are going to match up? Steph's got the head to head, obviously. Yeah, I think Hachinov is the RBA of his era. I think that's the take that I've been brewing uh, in mm. the coffee pot, Chris. Yeah, and I yeah, think that's yeah. the one I'm gonna I'm gonna go with because, again, on paper. He is your modern 2020s ATP player. 6'6", huge weapon, serve and forehand, and yet very fluid as an athlete, more than comfortable going the four-plus hours needed in this best-of-five fashion. Hatchinov has made at least the third round, so been one of the 32 best players in 19 of his last 22 majors played. That's great. He's the litmus test for what good means on the ATP Tour. Here's the thing. Hasn't Steph looked really good throughout the course of this Australian Open. Like, his serve, his forehand, Chris, I might trust that combination more than any combination of the mortals, meaning not Djokovic, not Nadal, but of the mortals on the ATP Tour. I think I like the Stefanos serve forehand combination better than anyone else's. Yeah, he's looking so streamlined on the hard courts all the way through this tournament. Yeah. I mean, a little bit of resistance from Yannick Sinner, and that was to be expected, and that was good on Sinner. But great reaction in the fifth set of that round of 16 match. So confident, so focused. Yeah, and his game is, in- his game is incredible. He-, he really is such a talent, and you're thinking – I mean, I'm thinking when I'm watching him, like, yeah, this this is a potential winner of this tournament. Yes, I know Novak Djokovic is there, and Novak Djokovic is healthy, but but I feel like it's Sitsipas has given himself a shot to to make a, a big dent here. And so, uh, you know, the five and zero head to head, those are always kind of weird, right? Mm-hmm. You, when you enter a big match with somebody that you've kind of owned, and it's a, I think it's in a very different phase of Hachinov's career now compared to when all their other meetings have happened. I mean, this is a Hachinov that has now made two Grand Slam semifinals, and he spoke about in New York. I was a little burnt. I was up late with Nick Kyrgios, and we know how much that can take out of a tennis player. Even though he had a couple of days off, I think I think he feels like he's in a lot better shape to really make this a physical matchup. And the question is, how does Steph use those tools, that forehand and that serve, to avoid it being too physical and to dictate – uh, most of the points, and I think he has the tools to do it. It's just a matter of executing, right? Yeah, I think the thing Pass does better, because I went back and even beyond the quarter match, because quarter was a little banged up, I went and watched the uh, match between Tiafo and Hatchinov, and Hatchinov mm-hmm. wins that in four, but Tiafo was up 6-3 in that fourth set breaker, and oh, Tiafo had breaker. success pushing Hatchinov off the baseline, and had some success playing first strike tennis. And the reason Tsitsipas is 5-0 in in his career head-to-head is because Tsitsipas is the best version of that. And I'll use a hockey analogy here to play to the crowd. Um, You know how they say in hockey, as impressive as the stick skill things are, their ability to actually shoot the puck, the difference between a hockey player and the rest of us is 
how well they skate. Like, yep. it's just that's the difference is that they are so good at skating forwards, backwards, sideways, stopping, starting with control of the puck. I think the tennis equivalent of that is holding your ground on the baseline. And Stefano Tsitsipas's ability to hold his ground and his efficiency with his footwork and just that ability to ensure his first forehand will always be hit from an advantageous position. I just think it's going to bully Hachinov around the court. And, you know, the Hachinov serve and forehand are good. The Tsitsipas serve and forehand are better. Mm-hmm. Physically, yeah. I think these guys are awash. They're both ready for the five hours, whatever it takes. Yeah. Alex, I think this match is close because yep, it's too. a good match, but but right, but CC Pops is just a little better. Yeah. And can, can I, can I, um, am I mistaken when I think that Stefanos's Sitsipas's backhand is better than ever? I, I, am I wrong? Yeah. It's, it's very steady right now, it seems. I can sadly report you're not wrong. Um, you know, again, you are absolutely correct. Like, and you know, I don't think that he just played Yuri Lachetska, who yeah. big serve, big forehand, steady through the backhand wing, gets good depth, but isn't elite on that side. It was a pretty good rubric for what he's going to see again with Hatchnov tonight. Like, that's a pretty good matchup preparation for Tsitsipas. And look, the Tsitsipas Lachetska match was three tight sets. I expect nothing else from Hatchinoff tonight. Like, this match will be close. I don't think we're going to see a 6-1 set out of either of these guys. Mm-hmm. I just trust the CC Pastor forehand a little more. Yeah, yeah. And uh, with, with that, I, he shanks so much compared to other players, which is amazing. Does he have a smaller racket head than most of the guys on tour? You know, is, is it similar to what, what I, when I went Federer a little bit? Yeah, no, the rule is for every two bad tweets, it's one bad shank. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's so good. And, and the, finally, Novak Djokovic. The last, the last thing we'll talk about. He looks to be clear of the hamstring hurdle at this point, though you never know. But it looks like it's his tournament to win. What have you, what have you thought about his last couple matches and the way he's played in general? Maybe a little bit different than he would have played had he not been slightly injured. He's just been on a mission, and you know, there's a writer and podcaster, a lot of people know who Bill Simmons is. So maybe I don't even have to introduce what he does, who talked about in his book, the book of basketball, the evolutions of Michael Jordan, and how at first you had the overwhelming athlete, then you had, you know, just the alpha dog, then you had the guy who was smarter than everyone else during that last repeat. I think this is Novak Djokovic in his Michael Jordan second repeat mode in the sense that He's kind of turned into a little bit of a serve bot. Like you look for Djokovic, who's held serve 89% of the time over the past year. That's 3% better than his career average. His ability to hit his spots, not only on the serve, Chris, but his approach shots are a joke. Like his first strike is going into the corner, either onto the alley, you know, onto that single sideline or cross court into the open lane. He's opened up with his serve with yeah. such ruthless efficiency that he's either won the point or the next shot is so easy that it's never in doubt. Yeah. And, like, when did this happen? It just, like, it happened gradually, right? It, like, it 15 did. years ago it was, this guy can't hit a second serve. Now he's one of the five best on tour. Yeah. I mean, f- 15 years ago he had Todd Martin scribbling notes about his serve when working with yeah. him at, 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 the old, at the old Armstrong before it had a roof and was what it is now. 
and and we're, we're just like, what's happening to this guy? What, when is he going to reach his potential? He he can't breathe in his matches. But you're right. Yeah. And I think when did it happen? I think maybe his desire to, to be so good at Wimbledon helped him as a server, mm-hmm. knowing that that was you know that's the key shot on the grass and from a location perspective. But now he's popping the pace. It's just a credit. It's just a testament to his evolution as a player, the diversity that he can say, "Well, I'm a little bit struggling. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna play a little bit differently and have all the tools to not only be a nine-time Australian Open champion, 21-time major champion, going on 22, but to be able to adjust his game when he's struggling to use other tools, like no other players even have the tools to to be good when they're in perfect health. It's just the guy is ridiculous. But yeah, the serving—that's the exact point that should have been made, and you made it. So I appreciate that. He's going to be tough for Tommy, but I hope it's an entertaining match, and I hope it's—I mean, you no, know, I hope that. Can I frame it this way? Like, if if Novak Djokovic is is cinnamon toast crunch tommy paul is kirkland brand cinnamon toast like it's like oh you got the costco version like tommy's really good it's a great cereal you're going to enjoy yourself it's not the real thing and novak's the real thing yeah i mean you're right he's just operating on a different level it seems you mentioned those approach shots and the precision that he's playing with it he's just it's just hard to imagine him losing right now when he's this keyed in, even with the injury. And I, I do t- tend to think that there's a potential for him to win. Uh, if he, you know, like to, to be in this uh, calendar slam talk again, it could, that we could be yeah. right there again that th- this summer, especially. Yeah. Like, I mean, again, it's if we, the, the one variable, no healthy Carlos. Yeah. You know, I, I am fascinated. I'll tell you what, I think Tsitsipas is ready. Like, I'm not saying he's beaten Djokovic, and I'm not going to predict that either. But I think this five-set match, or whatever match they play, because they played five sets in their first uh, French Open final, even if Djokovic has forgotten it. Mm. But that match, like, yes, Tsitsipas went two, up two sets to love, but then Novak turned it on, and the match was never in doubt. I think Tsitsipas is ready for this moment. And from a personality standpoint, the best comparison for Tsitsipas probably is Djokovic, where they just have always sort of done their own thing and marched to the beat of their own drum. And, like, you need that in a moment like this. And so with all due respect to Hachinov, I do hope we get Djokovic Tsitsipas because Mm. I do think Tsitsipas is finally ready for this challenge. Yeah, well said. Yeah, that'll be a to-die-for final for sure. And I'm going to circle it back to American tennis just as as we bid farewell here and mention that Things we've talked about last year with Francis Tiafoe and, and Taylor are, are that there's opportunity now. The big three is fading. Roger's gone. Rafa's in a question mark more than ever. And, well, Novak's still clearly going strong, but you're mentioning that Steph has a chance to get some. The, the thing that's great for American tennis is the timing of this wave is coming right when the big three era is ending. And there's this land of opportunity, and there's this chance for people to set the bar high, like Francis set it at the U.S. Open, which has clearly inspired Tommy, who's now setting it at the Australian Open. And, you know, give credit to Sebi and Med Shelton and all the other guys who participated in this week. But they're all having chances now to do things. And, and I feel like that's going to contribute to this wave of American tennis and why it might be realer than many people would would think at first. A hundred percent. The other thing is they all build on one another. So, you know, Tommy Paul now makes a semifinal, which Francis has done as well. But you know who's the most pissed off person right now? Tava Fritz, yeah. who's like, wait a second, like, Cool, Tommy, but remember, everyone, you were all crazy about me, Indian Wells. Like, it's still my moment. 
I'm going to swear again. Fuck this Shelton kid. Fuck this Brooksby kid. Like, no, it's my time to shine. <laughs> yep. Like, meanwhile, you know who's sitting at home? 2021 Canada Masters finalist Riley Opelka, who's like, hey, you guys know I'm the seven-footer here. Like, the clearest path is me winning Wimbledon. And then it's just like, it, it just continues to bloom. What about two-time Kalamazoo champion Zachary Svida, who's mm. waiting in the weights, Chris, or just all these other people who now... It just creates almost a permission structure for success. It's like, okay, Tommy did it. Now it's my turn. Yeah. Or, you know, again, and I just think everyone's really well positioned to do that. So I agree, it's going to be the Roaring Twenties. Do you think? Do you think it'll help? Do you think it'll help the ma- the mainstream get a little more interested in tennis over the next few years? You know, or do you think we need the Slam title for that? No, because well, I say it like this: Francis Tiafoe's story, his charisma, his skill set made for television. Sebastian Corda comes from a family dynasty. His sisters are all pro athletes. Americans love yeah, dynasties. So I think there. he's another potential. And then my last point, I mean, Ben Shelton, by the way, same deal, the infection, the talent. And then by the way, Chris, have you seen Tommy Paul's jawline? Like that is a good looking <laughs> man. And so like, it's a good looking crew too. And yeah. so I think results as well as the just, diversity of personality of background we have with this group i i think if they have success notoriety will follow yeah look forward to that and you know and it's coming yeah. it's obviously coming i mean we're uh, we're obviously on the inside so i just look forward to getting you know my phone from people outside of the tennis world to text me more about these these players and i've gotten a few texts about netflix but not as many as i hope for so you know i need these i know it's january maybe people are off skiing or you know, maybe they're yeah. watching the Detroit Red Wings or dreaming about the, the, the fact that the Lions should have been playing in the NFC Championship. No, you know what they're doing? They're too busy reading all of your pieces, Chris, because you've been killing it throughout <laughs> the course of this Australian Open. So they're like, I got no other time. I don't know. I'm, I have, I'm only awake when I'm writing them. I don't get to see the reactions, unfortunately. But... <laughs> Alex, man, I'm glad you came on. If this was a first, let's do it again. And thanks you, thank you for all your insights. Looking forward to a great weekend. I'm looking forward to, to touching base with you in the not too distant future it is always a pleasure my fan uh my friend appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on here go lions go red wings we will talk more soon all right talk to you later thanks this edition of the lucky let gourd podcast is a wrap special thanks to alex gruskin for joining you guys can find out more about alex and his podcast go to crackedrackets.com or watch the samsung t2 channel which is awesome um So yeah, great conversation there. Always happy to speak with a person who's very much in the know about the American men from the college day onward. You guys, you can follow Tennis Now, as you know, on the web, www.tennisnow.com. You can also hit us up on social. We're always active, facebook.com slash tennisnow, and on Twitter, at tennis underscore now. And as far as this podcast goes, we love it. If you rate, review, and subscribe, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Just Google Lucky Let Cord Podcast, Spotify, anywhere else you like to enjoy your podcast. We're there, and it really means a lot to us that you listen and enjoy the podcast. And if you like it, let us know. In the meantime, it's time for men's single semifinals and women's final at the Australian Open. It's going to be a great weekend. Enjoy it, and we'll see you on the other side.